Well, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if today is your your first time with us here at Renaissance, I'm especially glad that you're here. I'd love to meet you if you got a couple minutes after the service. I I usually hang out up front here. Uh, Pastor Michael usually hang out, hangs out in the cafe. So either of us would love to just uh, spend a couple minutes with you, get to know you, uh, answer any questions that you may have uh, about Renaissance. You know, one of the unique uh, opportunities that we as followers of Jesus have is that God actually asks us to partner with him in what he's trying to do in the world. He actually asks us to partner with him in changing the world, uh, in helping to alleviate the suffering that's going, around, uh, going on around us, helping, us uh, helping to restore broken relationships, and ultimately to help people to be restored uh, to a right relationship with him. And that's something that you wouldn't normally think of. Why would God ask us to partner with him in that? And yet he does. And with that in mind, we chose Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be kind of our theme verse for the year 2016. And uh, if you've been here over the past couple of months, you've heard us uh, read it a number of times. I just want to read it one more time, keep it in the forefront of our minds. Uh, Jesus said to his followers just before he went up into heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus is saying is, I have chosen you. He's chosen us. We who are followers of Jesus. He's chosen us to be witnesses, to be people who say, this is what I have seen. This is what I have heard. This is what I've experienced. And here's how it has changed my life. And he's given us the opportunity of sharing that with other people, of pointing other people to him so that they can know him and have their lives transformed as well. And when you think about this task of, of partnering with God and changing the world, it's kind of a combination of exciting and intimidating. It's exciting because we get to see people's lives changed, right? We get to see suffering alleviated. We get to see relationships restored. We get to see people growing in their relationship with God. We get to see their, their physical, their emotional, their spiritual needs being met. And we get to see God actually using us as his instruments in other people's lives. And that's a pretty awesome and exciting uh, opportunity that we have. But it's also pretty intimidating because when you look at the needs of the people around you, they're endless, right? No one of us and really all of us together, none of us have the resources to meet every need that we come across. And if we put ourselves together collectively, we don't have the resources because the needs are endless. They keep coming and coming and coming. You look at the news. You look at the relationships with people you have around you. You talk to the people, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, and the needs are endless. And sometimes it can feel overwhelming. It's obviously incredibly intimidating because it's beyond our ability. And then, and then when we start talking to people and start sharing with them about what we have found in Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves, they don't always appreciate that. They're, you know, try telling somebody that their deepest need is met in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And some are really open to that, but some are like, you got to be nuts. And so when you put that all together, the, the, the magnitude of the need and the fact that people are not automatically 
predisposed to want to hear the message about Jesus, and you realize it's a pretty intimidating and a pretty, pretty daunting task that we have. But the good news is God doesn't just say to us, okay, I'm done. This is your job now. I finished. Jesus died. I raised him from the dead. Now you have at it. No, he says, I will be with you. He says, I'm going to give you the resources that you need in order to do what I have tasked you with doing. He says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses in, Ju in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. He says, I'm going to provide you with the resources that you need in terms of the person of the Holy Spirit. And as Michael mentioned, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about who he is, what his role is in our lives, and how he works in us and through us to transform the lives of the people around us. And I want to start today by looking at a passage uh, in the Gospel of John, the biography of Jesus written by one of his closest friends, a man named John. And the section that I want to look at this morning occurred right after the Last Supper. You know, the, the night before Jesus died, he had a Passover meal. He celebrated the Jewish Passover with his closest friends, with his closest followers. And after dinner, he kind of shared with him his parting thoughts, knowing that the next day he was going to be crucified. And so what we're going to be looking at are some of Jesus' last words to his closest followers. And he said, I'm going to be leaving you tomorrow but I'm not going to be leaving you alone. I'm going to be going back to be with my Father in heaven, but I'm not going to be leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you to fend for yourself. And he picked up the action in John chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And what Jesus is saying is, when I leave, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending my Holy Spirit. I'm sending my spirit to be with you, to guide you, to continue the work that I began. Yes, I'm no longer going to be present with you, but that doesn't mean that God himself is not present with you. Just because the second person of the Trinity is not present with you does not mean that God himself is not present with you. And the Holy Spirit is going to work in you, through you, to change the lives of the people around you. The Bible talks about uh, this concept of the Trinity. The word Trinity is actually never used in the Bible, but conceptually speaking, we see throughout the Bible this idea that there is one God who manifests himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you've been around Christian churches for any length of time, you probably run into this concept incredibly difficult to understand. In fact, as I was thinking through this this, this past week, I, you know, the past couple of weeks actually, thinking, praying about it, there is no one analogy that we can use to completely understand and explain how we can have one God 
who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the same time. You'd think that that's three gods, but Scripture says, no, that's just one God, but he manifests himself in three different persons. I'd love to spend some time talking about that, and, and perhaps sometime in the future we'll do maybe an entire sermon series on th this concept of the Trinity. And if you've you know, if you got a few minutes afterwards, I'd love to chat with you about it. But for today, just I, I want us to understand that Scripture talks about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All are God. All three are God. The Father is God. The Son, Jesus, is God. And so is the Holy Spirit. In, in most churches, there's an, we spend a lot of time talking about the Father. And we spend a lot of time talking about the Son. We spend a lot of time talking about Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But unless you've grown up in, in, in uh, say, a charismatic or Pentecostal church, we don't often spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. Some people seem to be kind of afraid of him. Some don't understand him. So it's kind of like we push him off to the side and we kind of ignore him. But when we do that, we're missing out on something incredibly important. We're missing out on one-third of God in some sense. And that's why I want us to take some time over the next several weeks to talk about the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on the earth, he was physically present with us. When he left, he sent his Holy Spirit to be present with us, not so much physically, but as spiritually. And one of the things we have to watch out for is we sometimes get this idea in, in our minds that the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like the force in Star Wars. By the way, if you haven't seen The Force Awakens in Star Wars, you got to see it before it leaves the theaters. It is absolutely, positively worth seeing. It's kind of like a reboot of the Star Wars franchise. If you got sick of Jar Jar Banks and all that sort of thing, you know. No, anyway, sorry, I'm a, I'm a big Star Wars fan if you don't know me. I love those movies in case you couldn't tell. Don't get your theology from Star Wars. Enjoy it lightsabers, all sorts of good stuff. Somebody gets, you know, anyway, I'm not going to tell you what happened if you haven't seen it. But point being, the Holy Spirit is not like this impersonal force in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is actually a person. And we get confused because he doesn't manifest himself in a physical way, the way that, that Jesus did. But that doesn't mean that he is any less of a person. We can have a relationship with him, just as we can have a relationship with Jesus, just as we can have a relationship with the Father. So the Holy Spirit is, is the continued manifestation of God's presence with us right now. So yeah, Jesus is no longer walking physically on the earth, but that does not mean that God has left us alone. And as Jesus has said, I've sent the Holy Spirit to be with you, to guide you, to empower you to do what I have called for you to do. And part of the role of the Holy Spirit is this concept of him being our advocate. In verse 16, as we looked at before, Jesus says the Father is going to give us another advocate. I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And that advocate is the spirit of truth. Now, if you've been around churches for a while, you may have heard Jesus being referred to as the advocate. So which is it? Is Jesus the advocate or is the Holy Spirit the advocate? Well, the way Jesus puts it here is he says, I'm going to give you another advocate. And he actually chooses a very specific Greek word. There are two Greek words for another. One can mean another of a different kind. The one that he chooses is another of the same kind. And so he's saying, 
There's a first advocate, there's another advocate, and they are of the same kind. Jesus himself is that first advocate. The gospel writer John wrote uh, three different letters that are recorded in scripture. He wrote his biography of Jesus, and then he wrote three letters to Christians in various places. And in that first of those three letters, he writes about the first advocate, about Jesus Christ. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we all do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And what John is saying is that as our advocate, as the first advocate, Jesus is standing before his Father, and he is saying, I died for these people. My death was their death. Yes, they sin. We don't want them to sin, but they, but they do sin. And when they do sin, he says, you know what? My death paid for their sins. God's wrath is against sin is satisfied because of what I, Jesus, have done. So he's saying, don't hold their sins against them. Forgive them not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, because if you take all of our good works and put them together, they are not good enough to earn us favor with God. And so Jesus is up there in heaven saying, I paid for the sins of the whole world. And all who are trusting in me, that payment is credited. It's applied to their account. And so they can have right standing. We can have right standing before God because of what? Jesus has done. So in that sense, Jesus is our advocate in heaven, pleading before his father that we are justified. We're declared to be in right relationship with our heavenly father because of what Jesus has done. That's what the first advocate has done for us. The second advocate, the one whom Jesus refers to as another advocate, applies to our hearts what the first advocate has done. The first advocate died so that we could be forgiven. The second advocate applies that truth to our hearts so that we can actually experience forgiveness. The first advocate is in heaven pleading for our forgiveness. The second advocate is in our hearts reminding us that we are in fact forgiven and helping us to enjoy that forgiveness that we have. Jesus is an advocate for us. The Holy Spirit is an advocate in us and to us. So the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, work together in perfect harmony with one another so that not only is it true that if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven, but also we can experience that forgiveness. And it's not just simply some sort of an intellectual belief to which we assent and that we sing about and we read about. It's something that can make a transformative difference in our lives. And this leads to something else that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit a little bit later on that evening, just before he died. He said, when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. 
Jesus is saying that part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to testify, to be a witness about him. And that word testify is exactly the same Greek word, actually comes from the same Greek root word as in our year verse. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, and he says the Holy Spirit will testify or witness, same basic Greek word. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to do for us what God has called us to do for the world. So the Holy Spirit is going to testify to us about who Jesus is and what he's done. And the primary way in which he does that is actually through Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture. He worked in the lives of the different men who wrote Scripture so that they would write exactly what he wanted written. And scripture points us ultimately to Jesus and to who he is and what he's done. The Bible is God's revelation about us, about himself, about our relationship with him, about our relationship with one another, about how he wants us to live our lives. And the Holy Spirit works through the scripture to help us to understand who God is, who we are, and how we can have a right relationship with him. He helps us to understand the Bible as you read it, as we read it, but it's not just helping us to understand it in an intellectual sense. He helps apply it to our hearts. So it's not just simply understanding it, it's experiencing it, it's living it, it's, it's making the word of God, the scripture, the Bible come alive in our lives so that we can experience the transforming power that God has for us. Think of it this way. Intellectually speaking, we know that sugar is sweet. But knowing that sugar is sweet doesn't make any real difference in our lives. We've got to experience it by tasting it. If we only read about it, if we only hear about it, if we only think about it, it doesn't affect us. But if we actually taste it, then we experience it. So in the same way, if our faith in God is simply an intellectual understanding, a recitation of creeds, a singing of songs, a reading of the Bible, all of which are absolutely good and we ought to be doing, but if that's all there is, then there's no real relationship between us and God. If we know about him, that's good, but we actually have to know him. And when we know him, we have that experience, and that's when the transformation really occurs. We can know that Jesus died for our sins, but we need to experience forgiveness and not just read about it. We can know that God cares for us when we're hurting, but we need to find comfort in our pain and not just talk about it. We can know that God loves us, but actually experiencing his love in our lives, that's what transforms us. And turning that knowledge into experience, Jesus says, is the role of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul was one of the uh, leaders of the early Christian church, and he picks up on this idea in one of his letters. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. There's the knowledge. If we are led by the Spirit of God, we are children of God. But he takes it further. He says, 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, which means dad, Abba, father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So most of us are probably familiar with this concept that we're the children of God. Intellectually, we've heard that. And we hopefully believe that and we know that. But knowing it is one thing. And another thing is when we think about God as our father, we don't just say, yes, you are our father, but we cry out, dad, I've got this relationship with you. I know the love that you have for me. I know the privilege that I have of being your child. And I know that you're not just my heavenly father in an intellectual sense, but in an experiential relational day-to-day sense and that transformation that move from the intellectual understanding that God is our heavenly father to the move that we can call him dad that we can approach him without fear that we can be excited when we think about him in the same way that a child is excited when his or her loving father comes home from work and runs up and says daddy it's so good to see you we can do the same thing with God who is our Father. And that transformation is accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit takes our knowledge about God and he turns it into knowledge of God. And that transforms our lives. And that's where the real power comes from. Knowing truth is absolutely essential but experiencing that truth in our lives is transformational. And that's the foundation of our role as Jesus' witnesses. Jesus says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit testifies to us and that transforms us. And then we testify or we witness to the people around us and they're transformed. So God uses the Holy Spirit in our lives to change us. And then he uses us in the lives of our friends, of our neighbors, of our coworkers, of our family members, of the people with whom we interact on a day-to-day basis. He uses us in their lives so that they can be transformed, so that they can experience not just an intellectual understanding of who God is, but a relational and an experiential understanding of what it means to actually know God and not just simply know about him. I recently ran across this, an analogy of a floodlight and how that's an analogy of the the role of the Holy Spirit. I lived in in Princeton for about 25 years or so. And one of the things that I loved to do was in the evenings, walk along Nassau Street. And if you've ever been down in Princeton, you're probably familiar with Nassau Street. And right off of Nassau Street, there's one of the oldest buildings in the country. It's called Nassau Hall. For, For a short period of time during the Revolutionary War, it was actually the capital of the United States. And there's a lot of details about that. It's kind of interesting. Talk to me sometime about it. Star Wars, Princeton, nerds, a few other things like that. Anyway, we can hang out and talk about that stuff. One of the things that I would love to do, though, is walk along at night 
and look at Nassau Hall just all lit up, beautiful during the day, but there was a different beauty that was brought out at night as those floodlights lit the front of that building. What I noticed was not the floodlights. I noticed the building. If the floodlights were doing their job properly, I wasn't there sitting there thinking, huh, is the uh, color temperature of those lights about 2700K or, or what is it? You know, it's a little bit too blue or I wonder if it's incandescent. No, it can't be incandescent because it's a little too blue. Maybe it's a little LED or I, you know, what it, no, I wasn't thinking about the floodlights. I'm thinking about the building. The job of the floodlight is not to draw attention to itself. It's to draw attention to what it's illuminating. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws attention to Jesus, not to himself. This great author named J.I. Packer, he puts it this way. He says, the Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But always look at him and see his glory. Listen to him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and of peace. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. His role is to point us to Jesus and to show us how great he is and what an awesome privilege we have to actually know him and have a relationship with him. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's the role that we have in the lives of other people as we are witnesses to them of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And that's the privilege that we have of partnering with God, of partnering with the Holy Spirit because as our lives are transformed, as we get to know God, God uses us to be his instruments as part of the transformation of the lives of the people around us. And as we close, I want to just leave you with, with several different thoughts, several different challenges or encouragements. First of all, whenever you read the Bible, every time that you read the Bible, and I hope that you do that regularly, but whenever you read the, the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit. Start by praying and say, Holy Spirit, would you be a floodlight to illuminate the Bible, the words that I'm going to be reading illuminate the Bible so that I can see the beauty of Jesus in Scripture. Help me to understand this truth. Help me to see the beauty of Jesus. Help me to believe that these things are true. And then secondly, continue that prayer and say, help me not only to understand it and believe it, but would you please, Holy Spirit, apply that truth to my heart so that it's going to come alive in my life. It's not just going to be something that I read and say, oh, that's interesting. Isn't that fine teaching that Jesus gave? Or isn't that an interesting story here? Or isn't that a, a great challenge that the Apostle Paul gave in this section of the Bible that I'm reading? No, Holy Spirit, help me not just simply to understand it, but help me to be transformed as I experience the truth coming alive in my life. And then third, after you're done with that, ask him to use you like a floodlight in the lives of other people. 
not so that they're going to be impressed with you, not so that they're going to be impressed with Renaissance or any, any other church or Christian speaker or whomever it may be, but so that they're going to be impressed with Jesus, but not just that they're going to be impressed with who Jesus is, but that they're going to be transformed by having a real living experiential relationship with him. Ask him to use you to show them the beauty of the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus offers him. And then finally, ask the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts so that they can know the Father who sent his Son to be our Savior so that we could be transformed, so that we could be restored to a right relationship with him. Ask the Holy Spirit to be a floodlight in your life and also in the lives of the people around you. And then step back and watch and see what he does and the way in which he transforms not only you, but the people around you. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, again, I just thank you that you are present with us always with those of us who are followers of Jesus. And I pray that you would work in our hearts to help us to see the beauty of Jesus, that we would be so transfixed by his love, by his grace, that we'd be drawn to him and that our hearts and our lives would be transformed. As we read scripture, open our minds to understand it, open our hearts to receive it, change our lives through your word, and then give us the grace and the love that you have so that we can show that same grace and that same love to the people around us. And I pray that you would use us like a floodlight to point others to Jesus. And as that happens, I pray that they too would be transformed and that, that we all would ultimately glorify and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen. Glad you guys made it out this morning. Again, I'd love to chat with you if you have a few minutes after the service. Have a great week.